Hello, this is Lori Koppelman. Thank you for joining us for the fourth episode of the Clutter Chronicles podcast, One Woman's Journey Through Stuff. If you're new to Clutter Chronicles, I've been talking with a woman named Mary about her unusual relationship with stuff. Mary is letting us into the details of her life that until now she has kept very private. She's hoping that by sharing her story, she will help others like her feel less alone. Last time, Mary spoke about reaching a crossroad in her adult life when she was able to admit to herself that she was out of control. In today's chronicle, Mary talks to me about reaching the absolute low point in her life. She was in constant battle of trying to have normalcy, yet living with her reality. She came to a point when she felt like she had nothing left. It was a very difficult time for her, but also a time of growth. It's Mary and Laurie again, and uh, we were just chatting offline, and I said, Stop talking! I want to start recording this! (laughs) Tell me what you were just saying right now about this, what we're doing. Well, I I was saying that... um, this really couldn't happen with anyone else because if it was my good friends, they've, they've kind of lived through it and there's just this uh, stuckness I'd have. And if you were like, I don't know, someone from the news, I'd feel like there was an ulterior motive. And there's just something about this connection that you and I have where it's like, we're just getting to know each other as well. But we understand each other on one level enough to be free-flowing on the rest. So it, I have not spoken like this before to people, to anyone. So That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we... Let's give people a little history. I kind of alluded to it a bit in mm-hmm. our last conversation. But why don't you tell me um, about... The little story, how we yeah, met. Yeah, the story of how we met. Well, it's kind of funny because um, I have not been working. Uh, I, I stopped working in uh, 2014 when I was helping my dad sell his house and move into a, a, an apartment. And I'd been kind of um, trying to get away from my previous career. It just wasn't fitting. And so I was looking for help in finding a, a job. My husband wanted me to get at least a part-time job, and I f- was so stuck. And so I found these job groups, and one of them was the Basilica. And I go in, and they, they do this interview where they ask you what you're looking for, wh- what's your story, and then they give you a list of 12 or 14 job coaches to choose from. And you just kind of, they give you some time, you look at them, it's a little spiel about them. And I randomly picked you. I don't know why I picked you. I would love to see that spiel to see what it was that caught my eye. But I had no idea that you had any interest in clutter or hoarding or any of that. And so I picked you, and about a week later or so, I came for our first meeting. And it was very similar to, like, with my husband. I, I, I thought... I need to come clean here, and I need to tell you what I'm really dealing with because otherwise you're not going to be able to help me. So I said, I took a big leap. I said, I have a lot of stuff in my house, and I'm not going to find a job until I get rid of this stuff. I think that I need to be focusing on that. And what was so 
wonderful is you agreed. <laughs> it was like you gave me permission. Because you have to you have to realize that my poor husband he has no way to relate to this. He has no um, defenses. He has no way to understand any of it. And so he's kind of alone in our house full of stuff. And his attitude is, get a job. What's the big deal? But it's also a sheer desperation for normalcy. And I want that normalcy as well, but I'm, I'm the problem. And even though I can want all the same things he wants, if I have this, this barrier, and I'm the, I'm the keeper of the barrier. Um, I'm not going to get anywhere f- forward. And and what was really scaring me at that moment was I was dreading going to a job where it was going to kind of undo all the progress I'd made so far, where I would feel shame or not fit in or have it take over my life. And then I would never get the house clean. And it's this this constant battle of trying to be normal and then the reality of what I'm fighting at the house. So through our sessions, what was so funny is um, I'd come to you. Uh, I, I, that first session, I told you what I did, and then you told me what you did. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I went home, and I looked you up on your website, and I, I just laughed. I said, I, honestly, I said, God, you are so funny because... You did this. There's no way this is a coincidence. And I remember kind of thinking that I felt like I was sneaking around because I was going to see you about job searching, quote, (laughs) in the air. And you were helping me clear clutter. You were giving me, well, first of all, you were listening. And there were very few people that I was opening up to about it. And um, I was going through therapy, but I was attacking that from a different angle. And you were kind of giving me a kind of a practical uh, way of dealing with it and looking at it. You were giving permission. I think that's what it really was. It was permission to acknowledge that I need to give this the time it needs. So you would say things like, well, that laundry that you brought home from your, your dad's house, why don't you take it to the laundromat and get it all washed at the same time? And I'd be like, I never thought of that. <laughs> it's like if you're in the mess, you just can't come up with these strategies. I think that if I had a normal, quote-unquote, normal life, not a cluttered house, and I, I some, somehow got a pile of laundry, my first thought would be to go to the laundry laundromat and get it all done at once. But it's when you are coming at it from this angle of, I have been walking up this mountain for years. Nothing nothing turns a light bulb. You're just kind of stuck in it. Right. So, And that was, if I remember right, you had all kinds of towels and napkins and things that you had acquired yep. over the years that you wanted to sort and get rid of, but you needed to wash them. Yep. So that well, you were stuck with... A lot of bedding and linens right. from, from their linen closet, which was packed mm-hmm. in years and years. And keep in mind, these are patterns that I recall from my childhood. So it wasn't just white sheets. Right. It was patterns that reminded me. And when I think about it 
at this very moment, of course I wasn't able to part with those very easily because it was that same thing that that little lion uh, stuffed toy had on me. I was a bad kid. I caused hardship on my family. You know, I didn't know how to have a fun childhood. You know, grief and regret. Well, at some point, and I, I kind of, I call it kind of divide and conquer. You do the first step, which is obviously wash it. It had to be washed. There was no way it was going to go out of my house without washing. So I washed them all. And then I organized them by sizes. And lo and behold, someone connected me with a group that needed sheets. They didn't care what size shape they're in, if they were... Um, you know, recent patterns or, or not, they just needed them. And that was kind of like the motivation I needed to let go. So it it was a, a big step. It seems ridiculous in most people's minds, but that was letting go of my childhood, letting go of the, of the control, um, fear of someone misusing the sheets. I mean, all that stuff mm-hmm. is intertwined. Mm-hmm. I don't want someone to separate them. I mean, I have all these things that are ridiculous that stop progress. Right. But, and you know what's interesting is that was probably in 2014 and today I could probably honestly stand and if they ripped the sheets in front of me I'd probably be okay. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) That's huge. That's huge. (laughs) So, So, I'd like to talk about what's happened between then and now. Okay. And I'd also like to talk about, you mentioned meeting Kelly and having him walk in your house. Right. And now we're 10 years later and you're married in a house together. Right. Um, what might there be of that story to, to catch us up with, if anything, Okay. Um, on this journey? Otherwise, we'll just keep going with what happened between not wanting to let the sheets be um, apart right. to you could rip them. So right. So where do you want to go? Well, um... Again, there's this, this, this pull between normalcy and the reality. And in order to get to normalcy, you have to face up with reality. And the reality is, I have a lot of stuff and I don't know what to do with it. And when we got married five years ago, I had my condo full of stuff. And one by one, I've taken over his house. <laughs> he was in a house when you married? He, yep. Okay, and it was... It was clean and it was sparse. He hardly okay. had anything, which is good because I, I filled it up. <laughs> Match made in heaven, yeah, huh? Exactly. Um, we should start out with backing up with um, when I had that pod. Mm-hmm. Um, he helped me unload the pod into the storage facility, and then the idea was that I would go to the storage facility and sort through the stuff. But there's this anxiety. You don't want to face it. And um, I also couldn't go in there and feel comfortable sorting through stuff. It's kind of creepy. So it just sat there for, I think, a year. And I never made any progress. Anytime I did anything, I had to pull it all out to get to it and then push it back in. So I convinced him, still when we are dating, that I could make more progress if we put it in his garage. So that... 10 by 15 storage went into his garage. And then he made me promise that I would have it empty by 
September. So this was July, like the beginning of July. How many years ago? This is... Five years ago? 2008. 2008. Um, so six years ago. Yep, six years ago. No, and eight years ago. Sorry, I'm, I'm bad at math too. Is it? Is it eight years? Wow. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> so eight years ago you moved it into his garage. Yep. Oh, is that... Uh... Well, it's an interesting parallel because I move it in the garage in July with the idea that, yeah, I'll get, I'll get rid of it by September, which is... In in my track record and understanding the hoarding problem, that's impossible. It won't happen. Well, if it were that easy, it would have been done a long time ago. But I really, really, really wanted to have it gone by September. So his goal coincided with mine. I wanted it gone yesterday. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. So we agreed on that, and at least I wasn't paying whatever hundred something a month for storage. And there's this there's this little side note. How much is my stuff worth when I've already paid a hundred dollars a month for a year to store it? It's worth nothing. So this is beyond monetary value. This is a hold on me. So uh, I would say the second almost. The exact moment that we closed his garage door and agreed that I would empty it out by September, I get a call and my mom is um, sick and gets put in the hospital and never leaves the hospital and dies in September. Oh my. So that whole time that was supposed to be devoted to me going through my stuff, I was spending with my family and my mom. And to top it off, I was trying to get off my antidepressant. So, <laughs> not a good time to get off antidepressant. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I needed to be off of it. I knew it wasn't doing me any good. So I was at my worst uh, mental health. I was at my worst physical health. And I had stuff now in my boyfriend's garage and packed in my house. And obviously there was stuff at my dad's house. He hadn't moved out of his house yet. And there's something, if you think about it, just in terms of a hoarder who wants to keep their ducks in a row, I couldn't keep it straight in my head where everything was. It was very disconcerting. Um, now I've forgotten the question you asked me. You're fine. I had asked what happened from when you met your boyfriend mm. and he came to your house. Well, the poor guy, he let me put my stuff in his, in his garage. That's what happened. And he watched me grieve my mom. And and um, ultimately what happened with my mom's death is I was realizing that I could die and someone would be going through my stuff. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want to be that estate sale that I would go to. Right. And I recognize that um, time is really scarce. And I, I had spent, up until that time, this time where I'm supposed to be sorting, quote-unquote. I was so depressed, I'd go home and I'd just stick my head in the pillow and sleep. So all this proper, you know, time where I would be working on stuff, I was sleeping and I was burying my head in the pillow. So um, a lot of stuff was happening at the same time. I, was, I had been depressed. I was having anxiety attacks. I was 
you know, at a loss of what to do with all this stuff. I felt alone. My my boyfriend didn't know what to do with me. Um, my family didn't know what to do with me, and my mom died. And to top it off, I had set up a garage sale in my one saw garage, and uh, couldn't have it because my mom died. You know, it's all these things. So that one stall garage sale stayed there for a year. I, I had it all set up that July before she died, and I didn't have a sale till the following year. Oh my <laughs> word! Wow. So it stayed like like that. You had it stayed. It was a time ready capsule. Ready to go. Yeah. Oh tags yeah. On. Oh, I was afraid to go out there because I thought mice might have gotten to it. Nothing was touched. Not everything was exactly how I had left. When my mom went into the hospital. Oh, wow. And, you know, you put first things first, and mom was number one. Sure. Everything else. And that was kind of a huge realization that my stuff is in the way of me living. And that um, there's more important things to be doing. And um, I, I think that uh, that time I was being really taught a, a lot of lessons. And I also had um, kind of felt like I threw in the towel. I think I was about, well, I was 40. And um, I was identifying more with retired people than people my age. And I was identifying with um, death and thinking, this is the end of my life. I, I, I just had decided that, you know, I've... I've I had nothing left, and so somehow it's, it's a pretty miraculous. I would start taking better steps. Quite literally, I started exercising, and I started eating better. I got off the antidepressant, and I started recognizing food allergies I had, and all of this was about I need to be thinking straight to get rid of the stuff and what is the barriers that's keeping me from thinking straight. And I would get up in the morning and go straight to work and then I'd come home from work and go straight to bed. And That's kind of a barrier, not going to get anything done. So I started realizing, you know, I feel better when I don't eat. Or I feel better in the morning than I do in the evening, yet I'm a night owl. So why don't I switch that? So I started switching when I got up and I started... Um, actually resenting that my best hours were spent at work. Hmm. So I was working at a place where we had shifts once in a while. There were 10 to 6. So on those 10 to 6 shifts, I used to wake up at like 9.15 and run to work. But I switched it up, and I started waking up at 4 in the morning, get about 5 hours work done, and run to to work. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that... Uh, it was a pivotal point in the changes that were to come. Mm -hmm. That's a perfect place to stop <laughs> right now. Wow. That's quite a lot you experienced all at once. Yeah. It was, it was a, it's odd to say, but it was, a, it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it was a growth period. Right. It was tough while I was going through it, but, mm -hmm. but it was important. Mm -hmm. Very much so. All right, thank you. I appreciate your sharing all that. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you.
And that ends today's Chronicle. Word of mouth is so important to getting Mary's story out to people who could really benefit from hearing it. Not only for others who struggle like her, but also for those who love someone who has an unusual relationship with stuff. So please spread the word to anyone you think would find our conversations helpful. Thank you goes out to Michael Cobbleman for his gorgeous music and production magic, and to all of our generous patrons. You can send us your questions or comments on our Clutter Chronicles Patreon site or on Twitter at ClutterCron. Come back again to find out what happens next on Clutter Chronicles.